0: a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe at Cybus. We are in Amsterdam. This is the second time over this year. I'm here with Tom Schack, uh, who actually joined SWIFT uh, a little bit more than three years ago, so I just had the pleasure to, uh, to meet him for the, for the first time. Tom, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you. Th- thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity
2: to talk about Cybus and all the exciting things that are happening at Swift now.
1: So why don't we start a little bit by, you know, what's your role, uh, you know, what's your like the previous background, right. and also like, let, let's share how good it feels, you know, to be back, yeah. you know, in real yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, my, my role officially is the Chief Innovation Officer for
2: Swift. Um, I look after some other kind of related functions in terms of strategic partnerships and, and, uh, and the way we introduce technology into the company, which fits nicely in what we're trying to do with with uh, uh, things like emerging technology as a part of the innovation agenda. And I, and I agree, it's it's great to be back. You know, the Cybos being the flagship industry program, I uh, think there's, there's more people than we could expect here. The um, enthusiasm and, and just getting to see people after a couple of years. And, and really, it, it, part of it is kind of coming out of um, the pandemic, but, but also it's just a really exciting time. And there's so many really interesting things that are happening and a lot of those are really positive and a lot of those are things you kind of need to prepare for or react to so um, yeah it's a super dynamic time and a great time for um for the payments industry that's for sure
1: so i know that one of the topics that is particularly close to your to your art, it is something that uh, you know is is literally frontiers you know for swift as as an infrastructure yeah. we are talking about you know digital assets uh, cdbc's uh, uh, currencies so uh, and without being too like uh, technically like uh, in, into that, let's talk a little bit. What's the opportunity, you know, for, for Swift as a cooperative uh, yeah. to bring together the dialogue around of this uh, like uh, new infrastructure with great potential?
2: Yeah, and I think it goes beyond the dialogue as well because I think our our position, which I'll I'll jump into here. Is um, is a great one, and um, and again, I think the timing, you know, kind of the stars are aligned, and it couldn't be better. So, under Javier's leadership and the the strategy that we're executing now, which is really kind of anchored on instant and frictionless payments instant and instant frictionless transactions globally. Um, and there's a big migration that's going on in terms of standardizing payment messages. Um, we're in the process of, of, of launching a completely new state-of-the-art digital platform that allows us to, to, to really go ahead and kind of co-create with the industry. So when you kind of think about uh, the timing of the execution of our strategy, a new platform coming online, and then all the kind of drivers that are out there with new forms of money, including central bank digital currencies, um, all of the interest that we see and the potential... For things like uh, like tokenization of assets, um, it, again, you know, I think we're really well positioned. So what we did is we were looking for ways to kind of leverage what we are um, and, and what people expect and benefit from being members of the SWIFT network. And what we've done is we've proposed a solution that really I, I think will allow the, the issuers of those assets, these new assets. And I would say these are these are regulated assets or assets that will be regulated. That's really what our priority is. But it, it really allows, by leveraging the SWIFT network and kind of bringing the community together on certain topics, really the the, the ability to kind of fully realize um, the potential benefits of these new assets. That's probably the best way to, to think about it. So in the case of CBDCs, it was a central bank digital currency, and, and, and it really, It's a new form of money, right? Is what it is. It's not. It's compared to fiat. It's the same thing as fiat, but it's a new form of money. And what we've done is we've proposed a solution um, for that, which which I think is is fairly bold for SWIFT. Um, Instead of kind of sitting back and waiting for things to happen, or kind of commenting on things that are that are happening out there, and we've done that because we see um, from the central banks, for example, um, different technology. Um, solutions, different approaches, different different um, policy objectives, right? A lot, and a lot of those are really domestic cases to start. And so we looked at the CBDCs and we said, look, let's figure out some way. We're, we're technology agnostic. Um, we're not advocating the issuance of any digital asset. That's not our role. That's not what we do. But what we're saying is, because this is interesting to central banks, um, 9 out of 10 central banks are doing some sort of work on, on CBDCs now. And it's all very interesting to how that might change um, uh, how a commercial bank works. There's a lot of interest to figure out what does that mean and what's the right way to do it. So we've proposed a solution. Um, we think this is a, you know anchoring the solution on interoperability between the new networks that we expect a central bank to but don 't know how they 'll do that a central bank will connect and uh, create a new network and we can provide the interoperability between that new network and that asset and and the existing payments infrastructure um, and we think that's really powerful so if you 're in a central bank um, that interoperability um, allows you to realize the full potential of that new asset especially when you go cross border and, and and also um, it gives a um, uh, it gives a way to kind of drive um, adoption for them as well, and and, and I think it's you know I, this is why we've got so much so much interest on on this solution.
1: I think it's incredible, and you know I'm discovering this initiative, this initiative by talking to you right now. So yeah. this reaction is like purely uh, the enthusiasm is really natural. I think there are. Uh, you know, SWIFT is uniquely positioned. You know, to by the interaction. You know, for the past 40 years with central bank, a little bit more actually. You know, there is no one else who can enhance. You know, the 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 orchestration. You know, of these kinds of of these kinds of initiatives between uh, the different central banks. And now a, another question that sort of uh, was triggered about what you were just saying. I think that this is also a great opportunity for a greater financial inclusion. You know, These type of initiatives, don't you think, are actually even yeah. more important for emerging markets? Oh well,
2: Yeah, we think the basic pillars for a well-functioning financial ecosystem is really being inclusive and really being connected, right, through interoperability. So, yeah, that, that drives our thinking, because the alternative is, if you are to list, issue a new asset, whether that's a, a new form of the currency or a tokenized version of a regulated asset, for example, if you don't um, think about cross-border and you don't build in the interoperability, then you start to build digital islands. And then that leads to fragmentation and that leads to, as you say, you know, uh, less availability and less inclusion. So on one hand, we have this fantastic opportunity for the way that we make payments or um, uh, settle transactions or even make investments, right? And when you kind of look at it on a broader scale. And if if we don't do this right, the other side Opportunity we have is is, is a is, is a dark one, right? And it leads to fragmentation. It might include, it might exclude, um, uh, people, companies, businesses, and 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 nobody wants that, right? For a healthy financial ecosystem, we we are, and you say we're in a great position. Um, Eleven thousand institutions, two hundred countries. Connected to billion of billions of accounts, and the trust. So I think it's not just the orchestration piece; it's actually the, um, also bringing the community together to co-create and figure out how these things should be done. Because nobody, there's lots of ideas on how to do it, but nobody, you know, nobody has the recipe yet. Um, but we don't need to have that. That's the innovation process is anchored on trust, anchored on uh, interoperability, and 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 giving everybody the opportunity to come together to figure out exactly how should that work, so you can actually meet the goals.
1: Uh, one last question, super quick. You know, you talked about uh, you know this uh, infrastructure to be open for third parties to collaborate, right? And and I think it's basically the only possible way because it's it's very complicated to sort of manage and to end uh, all the technology. So mm-hmm. it, this is like. A, an invitation for third party co- to collaborate as well, right, in right. this infrastructure?
2: Yeah, third, third party, and we could use that term very, very broadly, right? So we do have um, a path for um, uh, to bring other people onto the platform, kind of non-members on the platform to make those services available in kind of a broader uh, broader ecosystem uh, for Swift is, is, is one thing that we're kind of starting to go down the uh, the line on. But, you know, when you think about even something like a fintech, and, and, and sometimes people like to just focus on the competition. And, and that's true, right? And we've seen, um, there, are, there are situations where, where people will compete with the corresponding banking business model and therefore SWIFT, right? Which, and we've never been the only game in, game in town and we never will be. Um, but, but I think that the, the part that people miss and we see a lot more, especially in the last couple of years, is that FinTechs, for example, are also the ones that want to collaborate with us and our banks and financial institutions, right? And they're also customers. You know, a lot of time, a a lot of time. So people like to focus on the competition. Of course, that happens sometime. We expect that, and that's not going to change. But in in more cases now, they're collaborators, and they're also clients. And so again, it, it goes back to kind of the inclusive approach that we take, because that's those are really the pillars of a of a healthy financial ecosystem, and that's really what Swift enables for the world.
1: Tom, I know that you have uh, another appointment, and, and appointment, uh, you know, soon, and, and Cybos is beyond busy for you. Thank yeah. you very much for sharing this uh, with us. You know, welcome once again, and have a great Cybos ahead. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. And it's a wrap.
0: The FTS Group builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners and regulators to build trusted and connected fintech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will
3: truly improve people's lives. Learn more on ftsgroup.eu.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to live uh, Breaking Banks Europe at Cybus. Uh, I'm here in the second part of the show with uh, Richard. Richard if you and I you know, go back a long time, back almost at the InnoTribe times. He is a managing partner and um, at Cognito, Cognito Media, who was, by the way, also the uh, media partner of InnoTribe back then, I believe. We were one of the, um, I want to say, most prestigious customer. Let me put some gold <laughs> medal here on my on my chest. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matilda. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you and I, we, we were discussing about uh, you know the some of the um, ingredients, you know, for the for the for the recipe of this uh, of this conversation, and uh, I got fascinated by you talking about the difference of. Uh, PR and sales, you know? And the fact that a lot of people uh, sort of uh, misjudge the fact that PR should be a vector for sales, and they consider it simply as a cost. I know it's a a topic you're very passionate about.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. And and that's because there's a disconnect between um, uh, how sales is perceived versus uh, marketing and PR. because they don't align the KPIs, they don't align the objectives, and that's where then often the PR, marketing, social media, sponsoring side is seen as a cost with no tangible added value for the company, and people emphasize sales, sales, sales because it's obviously a revenue building. Of course, um, but um, if you have if you if you look at successful companies, they create a layer of white noise um, by marketing, advertising, PR, they're very visible, they're out there. Mm. Nobody can buy something with you if you don't have stuff in the window, shop window. And then, but they align the marketing and PR efforts when it comes to objectives and KPIs with sales. So it's not marketing objectives, sales objectives, but the same objectives marketing generates the visibility and the leads and let's say just social awareness reputation reliability and then it's sales who actually can nurture those let's say clients prospects and um, it's very intriguing to see that also from many larger companies the PR and marketing people don't report to the same people that salespeople do they should
1: through, through, through.
3: So so a successful company, also small fintechs, big corporate, should way more align this. That has to there are two factors to make this happen. One, salespeople need to understand that without noise, no sales. And more important, the marketing and PR people need to talk Excel. They talk PowerPoint amazing pictures yeah, yeah big words but the cfo doesn't read powerpoint he reads excel Absolutely. so it's a language question in the corporate environment
1: what is the specificity of uh, of the fintech space and actually i want to enrich this theme or this or this question with uh, you know there is the classic pr i want to say mm-hmm. and then there is the Digital PR adapted to a specific audience. You know, I'm thinking. Absolutely. You know, banks want to talk to millennials, or like uh, you want to you want to get influencers. You know, in the mix, you want to take people who like who are particularly like ambassadors. You know, how creative versus classic you need to be in the fintech space.
3: Well, you need to be more innovative than ever before, because media, classic media, Matteo, is under is under pressure. There are less and less trade magazines and trade journals around. So, your, the, let's say, the, as a channel to reach an audience, classic media is less around. So every company needs to understand basically their publishers themselves. Uh, and either they develop channels, newsletter, uh, LinkedIn groups, um, Telegram groups, they develop channels themselves or partner with smart operations like yourselves or other, let's say, content providers will be able to come up with creative ideas, will be able to come up with platforms, platforms that capture an audience and and will offer a company, let's say, um, the stage to, to, to get up on and talk about their messaging. Uh, so that stage that normally media was is less there. So either you build the stage yourself or you partner with people that have a stage.
1: Actually, this is uh, is a very, uh, is, is a great segue to my next question, which is uh, how big a fintech has to be to play in the PR and media space?
3: That's the, the funny thing. That's what the digital world now, that's what internet does, is the dig de- the, the big equalizer. You don't have to be big. As a matter of fact, a smaller fintech or a smaller, let's say, company that offers innovative financial services can outsmart big banks, big institutions because they're way more agile, they have way less risk and control. So, actually it is for a scale-up in fintech easier to be dominating in the media space than for FIS or one of the other larger players.
1: And how adaptable is the budget? So you know, it's because it, I, I'm talking to our audience. You know, our audience. They they might have never you know bought a PR service, right? Yeah. And uh, well, how does it work? How how is that by drawers? Is by verticals? Is by reach? You know, what it, are the KPIs?
3: It it depends a little bit. Well, uh, for one thing, the good news is it's always cheaper than sponsoring Formula One.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh But um, there is, of course, like. I would say some sort of minimum minimum invest to get the ball rolling yeah, that course. should not be expensive I mean a smart idea could be already implemented for a few, few thousand euros okay but there is some sort of let's say call it startup cost of you course. have to cut the ball rolling then develop material create content do press releases there's another layer of costs hours mm-hmm. um, and then to amplify your, let's say, the content that you create and, and you use as PR. This with, is what
1: you buy space. Basically. That's
3: why you buy space. And that is obviously that budget should be linked to your business case. That budget should be linked to your strategy, uh, to your runway. You need, as an agency, we always have like a constructive conversation with our client, looking at their actual business case and say, okay, if you want to be here in two years' time, then this is sort of your marketing spend and it's always linked to revenue and 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 EBITDA. So this is talking excel by the way of instead course of course, of
1: course of course. I, I, I noticed that so You you were talking about like two type of approach, you know in in terms of uh, You know, how do you manage a PR? Relationship with the client, you know the first approach is you know you speak with the client you understand your need the, you, you understand the needs then you know you understand what the budget is and then you implement okay that's the classic pattern, Yeah. okay is there another more innovative uh, partner where you start with something that does not exist and then you go and find the budget for it
3: exactly and I th- that's the way i prefer because let's face it what we do you me our teams is capture an audience with amazing content
1: mm. absolutely
3: And then, if you have a captive audience, there's always someone who wants to use you as, let's say, a catalyst, a...
1: A vehicle, or, uh, yeah.
3: A a channel to reach that audience. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the classic model is there is the need at the client first, and they give you an assignment. But I think that the future will be that agencies like ours will more and more think and work like a publisher... You come up with a suitable content audience combination, and then once that is established, could be an event, could be a podcast, could be a television show, could be a, a magazine. That's another discussion, and then there will be you'll be very beneficial to small and larger companies who want to be part of that conversation that you have with that audience.
1: Let's maybe finish up with. Uh, um, I want to get your views on, uh, you know, uh, take a big event like Cybos, okay, mm-hmm. or Money 2020, or Web Summit, or, you know, these huge conferences. What, in your opinion, is uh, the best uh, combination between, uh, I want to say, exposure, exhibition floor, like uh, the interaction with the clients? Uh, so, that I want to say, the the more interactive part, and the pure content. So when in the, the the part where the conference delivers messages, calls experts. Because I, without making names, but I can I can see that some events are like stronger on the interaction part, and maybe the content part is less, uh, uh, you know, engaging. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cybos is probably one of the events that has both, you know, that you know both are very well sort of invested in, but also Cybos is not a commercial exercise, so no. you know it's a. Uh, but it, it this dichotomy is always interesting, don't you think?
3: Absolutely, and the thing is that an event, you name the big ones like Web Summit or, or the Next Web or Money Twenty Twenty, fine enough from my perspective, the event itself. Is not the ROI generator. It's the campaign before and after. So a company that, that's looking to make impact by joining an event like Cybos, um should see that as like a catalyst, an excuse, mm. to actually have like a campaign ramping up towards Cybos, reaching out to clients, reaching out to prospects, putting something on the agenda eyeballs will be focused on your message because this event is coming up in three weeks in two weeks in one week anticipating and then obviously you meet a lot of people during the event and then how can I re-message, repack that information in three to six weeks after the event so it's actually a 12-week campaign where the event is in the middle
1: Um,
3: and I see a lot of companies very much focused on the tactical implementation oh we need a booth, we need a speaker Um, and that's important but they insufficiently understand that the actual ROI is made before and after the event by actually bringing that narrative towards the audiences towards their clients, towards their let's say stakeholders Um, um, and then it doesn't really matter if the event itself you use the event as a backdrop.
1: Guys, I think that was uh, pretty interesting to get some insights from, uh, you know, someone who, uh, you know, knows this space uh, super well. Richard, thank you very much. My pleasure. For being with us. And uh, guys, stay, still, stay tuned. More content from uh, live from
0: Cybers. That's
1: Breaking Max Europe. It's a wrap.